hit record on my audacity i'm sorry audition oh and, yeah and we could do a little b-roll hey. really fast okay oh, so that's, a, that's, an, that's a good call i'm, I'm going to stop my audacity and restart it now that i got my settings good okay check good. check one two check okay. got us back Jessica, up can you come recording in, can going you check just kind of into the mic say <laughs> one two three four five seven nine ten one, two, three, four, five, six. So, Jessica. Eight, nine, ten. Yeah, tell us why. Tell us about repentance, honey. Come here. Oh, dang. <laughs> 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 She's not an idiot. <laughs> she starts swinging on me. She's just like, you. <laughs> so it's funny. Um, yeah, that, that would be a great trick. Just be like, oh, uh, we're, we haven't started the episode yet. Let's do a mic check. And then Jessica just goes like that. Nice. Okay. I want to know about everybody's 4th of July. All right, so um, mine was real quick. We didn't do a whole lot. We went to uh, Laurel Lake, uh, let, yeah. let little pups swim, and I swam a bit. We went home. We uh, we cooked and grilled out, and then uh, we went to the fireworks show in Richmond, and it was really fun. Cool. Technically, we celebrated more on the 3rd, um, but we had I had to work early in the morning. So came home, uh, took a nice nap, and then we went to our neighbor's house. They had bought like two thousand dollars worth of fireworks because um, <laughs> they're just those types. Um, but I really appreciated it because their firework show was uh, pretty dope, <laughs> and it was oh, loud. <laughs> we went to the Lake Reba show, like I said, but the um, some of the. Do uh, you remember going up and sitting on the hill with us at Lake Reba, Zach, that spot that we always yeah. go to? So um, behind us is like really nice neighborhoods. So, and I, and I mean that like, you know, they're probably more wealthy people. So the fireworks shows behind us were almost bigger than the one that they were doing at Lake Reba. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, After you guys showed yeah. me that spot, like we always tried to go to that same place anytime we were at Lake Reba. This year it was not like it was like half capacity of normal really? years. Wow. And I'm not sure why. Me and Jessica were really They didn't have it last that. year, I think. Yeah, cuz of COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well, sure, but it's still somewhat of a tradition. I would I would think yeah. that, that that Richmond city would still uh, you know, I mean, that pe- people still know about it. I'm surprised yeah. they didn't join. What about it. you, Bob? What'd you do? Uh, I went up to Northern Kentucky twice. Nice. Uh, once on the 3rd, once on the 4th and um, spent time with different families on each on each day and got a chance to see some of my sisters i hadn't seen in quite some time so which was really good and that's uh, awesome and, and of course parents awesome. along the way very cool pretty awesome all right so you guys ready to get started let's do yeah, it buddy i'm zach i'm colin and i'm bob and, and welcome, welcome to, to the house podcast. podcast i think right. that was much more synced up than last week I just went for it. I didn't stop. I just went for it. That's probably, probably it should match up pretty good, I think. We're here um, to talk about America. Musica. And America. <laughs> Missiona of Of Jesus. America. Of America. No, music media. media and the mission of Jesus. There you go. There you yeah, go. buddy. And we're talking about a lot of different stuff this week. Yeah, um, it's gonna be fun. I'm looking forward to this episode, guys. I really am. While we were recording this, it's only like a day or two after Fourth of July. So for mm-hmm. for all of our jokes about Fourth of July, that's why because it's just like still fresh in our minds. America, we might be picking up some fireworks in some people's microphones. I have no idea if people still have like stock left over. Mm-hmm. Our neighbors clearly don't because uh, they cleaned house. But 
if we have, I, I forgot to mention this uh, when we were planning, but if we have a minute and we have like just a tad bit more time, somebody on one of those uh, Facebook groups messaged uh, or sent a message like question out. Uh, and a lot of Christians have been commenting or talking about this idea of like, sort of like worshiping America on that Sunday. Cause it was July 4th was the Sunday. Yeah. And like people going to their church and being like, yeah, America free and blessing of the brave and the constitution and the president and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and people are like, where's Christ? And they're like, well, I'll see yeah. you next Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> so if we have time, I might talk about that too. But yeah. Um, yeah. What exactly are we doing today? Zach? What so exactly? we are doing question crossfire four. Crossfire. Crossfire. Cross, cross, crossfire. Awesome. Yeah. I can't hard to believe that we've done uh, four of these already by the time we're done with this. Um, It's been a while to you. Yeah. Yeah, we picked up a lot of these questions from some of our closer fans, and so uh, if you're not following us on Facebook, uh, that is that is where a lot of these questions uh, uh, got asked uh, among those who interact with us there. And so, uh, if you want to be part of the next questions crossfire, be sure to follow us, and uh, and we'll, we'll get, give you notice uh, before this is coming up before we do any recordings. Yes. Send us a message anytime. I like it. Um, before we get into it, yeah, shall we do a little bit of worship? worship? That sounds good. Um, as always, we have uh, kind of moved into a different kind of mode. Uh, so we obviously have a song. Um, so without further ado, here it is.
Daddy, we thank you for this uh, for this chance just to come together as men once again, um, uh, just trying to reach out to your church and and those beyond and and help build up the kingdom. Uh, we thank you for these questions that you that you have for us tonight, and as we explore your scriptures and understand uh, and, and try to help explore your will your will uh, for all to hear. Um, help us to represent you well tonight, and help us to 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 be your hands and your feet to the world around us. We praise you for all the ways you continue to bless us each and every single day. In your son's name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Bob. That was a good prayer. All right. Awesome. Okay. Um, I guess maybe... So so, yeah. uh, so so tell me, what is the first question we got up here today? Do we want to just take turns reading them? Yeah, I was going to say, why don't we just right. take okay. turns reading them? Zach, right. you go first. Okay, so Billy asks us... Uh, is the Bible sexist? Is it not in line with what is current? Thoughts, gentlemen. Mm. Well, um, uh, I, th- I think unequivocally, I think we all tend to agree that no, the Bible is not sexist. As men, uh, we know. <laughs> we know what is correct. <laughs> we have the right interpretation. <laughs> so, 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 so the big thing I, w- I wanted people to understand with this is the fact that yes, some of the laws and some of the rules and things like that might sound strict from a 21st century perspective. But you know what? The laws of the 1930s regarding women, following the women's suffrage movement in the 1920s also seem strict by today's standards but we don't get angry with the women's suffrage movement and because because they didn't because they didn't look like 21st century um uh yeah. feminist protesters you know mm-hmm. they were pushing for women's rights where they were um likewise it might be hard to believe but in fact the rules and laws and things we have about women in the bible was a move in the right direction compared to where they were coming from what I love about women in the Bible, though, is that it never actually stops there. Uh, we have the strict laws of the Exodus that everyone seems to condemn and say are so terrible. Uh, but they but they miss the fact that we're constantly moving more and more and more and more throughout mm-hmm. all of Scripture. Yeah. Women are given more rights and more abilities to the point to where uh, the classic story in, of, with, uh, with Mary and Martha and Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus – and Jesus and Martha being like, hey, hey, Jesus, you know, won't you put my tell my sister she needs to come in here and help me with the with, with preparing things, and Jesus refused to do so, which most people don't realize that was unprecedented for its mm-hmm. time. Women did not sit at the feet of a rabbi; that was not their place. And Jesus not only yeah. acknowledged it, he 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 um, approved of it. He, you know, he. He said that she has chosen the better thing here, and yeah. So, anyway, yeah. And, I, I and we see that. And ahead, um, the another like good example is where um, Mary and and some of the other women are the first to 
um, witness to other people that oh, yes. Jesus has been resurrected. And at that time, uh, legally, their testimony actually didn't count for anything in court. And yet the Bible uses their testimony as the basis for like the good news that Jesus has risen. The very uh, first to spread pretty, the word that Jesus Christ yeah. has risen from the dead were what was was a was a couple women. Yeah, I love that. So one thing that I think is maybe a misconception in terms of like uh, the twentieth, the the you know twenty twenty one thinking in terms of like reading certain out of context scripture mm-hmm. is that you might get this feeling like oh why are women being told to to be submissive and to do certain things that they're required to do what the Bible says. And my response has always been like, I don't, I don't know if you know this, but men are being told to do all kinds of stuff too, that they're doing wrong. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I'm saying like across the board, God is saying like, you need to be holy. You need to be faithful. You need to live a righteous life. You need to be um, devoted to, to, you know, your husband, or in this case, a husband to the wife, like all of these things are I think yes very cultural but I also think that like across the board um God God is rebuking bad behavior for men and women in the scripture so if if there's like a if there is a scripture taking out of context where it says I don't know it's just like you know uh the uh, in Proverbs 14 1 it says the wisest of women builds her house but folly with her own hands tears it down and so it, that one speaks specifically about women, right? So mm-hmm. it's not like you couldn't it, it couldn't yeah. interchange man in for that. You could like a man who builds their house with folly tears it down too. Um, so my my point is that like we reading the scripture in its entirety is always really helpful. Never yeah. take things out of context, and also remember that the Lord only wants us to live righteously and to love Him. And those those are true lessons that the Bible is. It's it's not like mm-hmm. some fabrication or some kind of yeah. targeted rebuke that's just because of your sex yeah. or your gender. You have to remember that there was no like term sexist when the Bible was written. I mean, they just had not even been thought of. Uh, women in the cultures of that time were little more than property in a lot of ways, and the Bible actually goes really really far. Um, to treat them equally. Um, Mm -hmm. Even Paul says like in Christ, there's no male or female, you know, no slave, nor Greek, no Jew, nor Gentile. Um, Paul does a great deal for pushing the issue of, of women equality or the the rights of women. Yeah. And so that kind of leans into the, I really like the second part of the question. um, Is the Bible not in line with what is current? I think not only is the Bible not always in line with what is current now, was not in line with what was current then. <laughs> yeah. And that's a good that's thing. That's a great way of phrasing that. Yeah. What is current is often not right. <laughs> <laughs> Just because it's yeah. the newest version of, of, uh, of, uh, manifested truth doesn't make it right. correct. When the Israelites appeared on the scene, um, other cultures were sacrificing children to idols, right. you know, and God mm-hmm. hated that. Um, and so mo- culture whether it's modern or ancient can just go awry without god very easily and so the bible kind of speaks out um for what god wants Mm -hmm. so there you go yep all right the second one i'll read the second one when we parentheses christians 
are presented with, quote, contradictions, end quote, how do we counter this without getting all uptight about it? Very fun way <laughs> yeah. to phrase that. Yeah. yeah um, I think I would rephrase the question a little. I would say, how do Christians tackle those who may bring into question the validity of scriptural doctrine throughout the Bible yeah. by claiming there are contradictions? And how do we do that in a mm -hmm. respectful yet firm way there. Right. <laughs> so, so I think we would all yeah. agree that we don't think the Bible has contradictions. Right. I've said previously yeah. that if, if, if I see something that looks like a contradiction in the Bible, uh, then I know right then and there that I need yeah. to take a step back and reevaluate my understanding of the Bible. Cause the problem is not with the Bible. The problem is with me and my understanding of what it's actually saying. It's so easy to cherry pick things that, seem like they contradict, but you have to read the context around mm -hmm. it to kind of get Absolutely. the full story. Um, I think Jake actually did say something about like um, a thing. Like we had a, it was, the, we had him on, our, I think our third episode of the podcast mm -hmm. ever. And the question that we kind of raised at that time was theology versus action. Because there were scriptures that talked about faith thought works. And then there were yeah. scriptures that talked about, making sure you can be prepared to defend uh, the things that you know about, mm -hmm. you know? And so where does the, where does the, you know, so some might argue there's contradiction between the pushing of theology versus the uh, going out and living without theology and just doing what God is leading you to do. And Jake, I think summed it up by just saying like, there's not a contradiction. There's like a relationship. Yeah. between those two things mm. it's like it's not like if i said to zach meet me at my house but never told him a time and then later said um i'll see you at seven like just because i talked about the meeting in one instance and talked about the time in a different instance doesn't mean that those things are yeah. mutually exclusive mm -hmm. there is a relationship between the two and so i think in the same way anytime somebody brings up a contradiction it's usually in the confines of taking two out of context scriptures and trying to make them contradict without reading fully the scripture and the context that's involved yeah. in those scriptures. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, what about uh, kind of the uptight attitude? Uh, that's always a difficult one to deal with. And that, that, that that's one where, where we have to let God continue to work on us and mm -hmm. teach us patience. Um, and so and, and react in love. Um, in this particular instance, I'm reminded heavily of First uh, Corinthians uh, 13, um, where Paul talks about love quite a bit. Um, as I'm pulling that up here, it he says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have not, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, <laughs> and if I have the faith that can move mountains, but I do not love, I am nothing. So he's, he's, if I, if I, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardships that I might boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. The idea yeah. here is that is that we have to approach these individuals. Even though they're presenting contradictions, even though they're trying to make our faith look bad, we have to approach them with love. And getting uptight with them very rarely is what I could, could – I, I can't think of an instance at the moment. There might be an instance, but I can't think of an instance at the moment where that's actually showing 
them love in their disbelief. And yeah. so um, sometimes it kind of goes back to the, it goes to the idea of Jesus where he says to turn the other cheek. Sometimes we just take it, you know, they just want to, they just want to be kind of rude to us about it and claim those contradictions and not listen to us. Well then yeah. just, just take it and move on. Um, but getting up tight does never wins those conversations. Yeah. That's so true. Um, as soon as you've had that attitude, like it just pushes people away. Um, and so, yeah, it takes a lot of um, patience. I think the Bible talks about long suffering, you know, mm. um, and bearing, you know, with love with people. Um, that can be super hard uh, because oh, it is so hard. You know, it the some of these issues that seem like contradictions, you have to dig kind of deep to really see what the Bible is actually saying. And so that's going to take a while to kind of get. And not everybody is coming at you with contradictions that are that are generally like curious to know <laughs> they might yeah. be just kind of bringing the accusation. Cause that's kind of where they are. They, they, um, they just want to gotcha moment. Yeah. And so sometimes there's really nothing you can do about it, but I think it helps to kind of remind yourself that like God loves this person and um, God wants this person to be saved. And sometimes you just kind of, you know, you can just kind of turn them away and pray for them. <laughs> like, so sometimes I'll, um, that's all you can do. <laughs> I like Zach's first Corinthian scripture. If I speak in the tongues of angels, but do not love. Um, I love that one. Um, I'll, I'll add just one scripture onto it, which I find to even maybe like push it even a little bit further. Mm-hmm. And that is Philippians two verse three, which says, and I know this is just one line out of context, but um, the rest of the chapter, you know, anyway, it says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, right. count others more significant than yourself. And I think that's interesting because it does, the Bible does say, love, love your neighbor as yourself. But I also think this is significant where it says, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. And yeah. I think, I think the, the way that that looks like, if you're going to talk to someone about uh, scripture or a contradiction and maybe try and set them on the right path, you might first consider their significance and consider them to be at least smart. Like that's the one thing that I, I feel like we lose a lot when we get into these debates, Christians uh, also, but I think just anyone in particular, like if you're, uh, you know, politically aligned differently or if you have whatever, um, you forget sometimes the, person that's across from you is still a person like that it's probably yeah. smart probably just raised you know with a different belief system like all of that so i think instead of resorting to rivalry or conceit in humility count others more significant yourself i really like that awesome absolutely all right bob you're up oh i am up aren't i Sorry. it's a good continent yeah mm-hmm. so um the next question here, what's the weirdest experience while in a church van? <laughs> so um, I have actually, I don't know if I've ever been in a church van. So this one might be a good question for you all and I'll just commentate. Really? Have you ever ridden in the Wesley Foundation van or anything? No. Um, really? Not no, even with me to go like get wings or anything? <laughs> no, I just, um, 
I yeah, I've never been wow. in that van. Uh, I I assume this is a church van that either is doing ministry somewhere or is on their way to VBS or Generally. something like that. So for the uninitiated, like yeah. if you've not been around church culture or your church doesn't do this or whatever, um, church vans a lot of the time are associated with like youth mm-hmm. events or like missions and you just cram a bunch of people, usually young people in a 15 passenger van and you load up and you go yes. do your mission day or you go do your trip. Um, I served uh, a whole church van out of a drive through window the other day um, that we're going to the water park. So it can just be <laughs> for fun too. Yes. Uh, I don't have that many church van experiences, but I think that probably if I had to pick a weirdest one, um, it might be um, playing the game mafia in a church van with a bunch of college kids. I was a freshman. Uh, we were heading down to new Orleans for a mission trip and every single person in the van played the mafia game, which involves closing your eyes and the driver played too. (laughs) (laughs) We somehow survived that. And I think that was the same trip where uh, the person driving the church van also left a girl at a gas station. So, (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) And then we had to turn back. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Sounds like Mm -hmm. I've missed uh, an experience I should have had as I was younger. (laughs) So I'm I'm trying to think. I don't. I thought a lot about this question, and I cannot think of like a weird or or unique or strange occurrence within a church. I mean, I was I was in the church van quite a bit. Uh, I mean, we took it. uh, uh, I mean, when I was in high in high school, you know, we did a lot of things. We went to a lot of different places, but I can't. Nothing stands out as something anything anything specifically weird or strange that I can recall. Um. The closest, the closest I can I can come to this was, um, if it's if it's um, hard to believe it's true that I was actually weirder in high school than I am today, um, <laughs> and so but your uh, ponytail was not as long. About, you're right, my ponytail was not nearly as long. Uh, but uh, there was an instance uh, where we were on a. It ended up being a, we rented a tour bus to take us to uh, uh, the church camp for a week down in Tennessee. Went from Northern Kentucky down to Tennessee for this particular church camp. Uh, I was I was a part of the Southern Baptist Church at that time, and so the camp was a centrifuge. And uh, uh, and uh, and and when we were loading up to go, um, you know, he a youth pastor recognized. You know, we've got some couples, you know, traveling in this uh, uh, together on this trip, and so he made a point to to, to point out no heavy petting. Uh, well, I was sitting Ooh. next. To, so, it's, in other words, behave yourself. And of course, you said no because yes. that's just oppressive. Well, yes. Well, <laughs> and well, I was sitting uh, next to the cooler, and so I started petting the cooler very heavily. And he asked me what I was doing. I was just heavy petting, and so he just shook his head and turned around and walked away. Um, so you caused the worst experience on a church van for someone. Yeah. <laughs> that is, that is, you, yeah, that's a great way of putting it. I was, I was the cause of someone else's very strange experience on a church van. So, uh, so tour bus, church van. I mean, the same type of experience. You know, same intention. A youth group traveling in a in a in a long vehicle down the road together. There you go. But, but yeah, I've so. been I've been in summer camp and uh, Boy Scout trips where I was in a van, but never in a church van. Interesting. Unfortunately, no. no I wonder, I mean, I think it might be kind of a similar thing though, where you just kind of pile the kids in and go to the fun Mm -hmm. thing. So there you go. 
Um, I'll tell you guys one about a summer camp thing, which isn't exactly VBS, just so that I can contribute something. <laughs> I had a good friend who, well, good friend. I don't, I haven't talked to him in like 28 years. When we were like five or four, uh, I went to summer camp with this kid who I knew in kindergarten. His name was RJ, if I remember correctly. And he called a kid a butt, B-U-T-T. And the, and the kid he called a butt to went and told the, uh, like the teacher counselor guy. He was like, Mr. Blah, 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 RJ called me a butt. And he said, RJ, did you call him a butt? And this was his reply, and I'll never forget it. He said, this is why I remember this story. He said, yeah, you're a really mean butt. And he didn't let me finish. <laughs> like, and he said it was such inflection that the teacher like smiled. He was just like, oh, I know what you're doing. <laughs> and so uh, I th- always I, that always stuck with me even as a child. I was like, oh, that was a that was a fun try and trick the guy thing that he did. All right, that's, that's all hilarious. I got. Um, is it my turn to read? I believe so. Um, f- favorite movie that isn't a Christian movie but has Christian principles that you took away from it. Now that's interesting because we actually have done podcasts about that's this true. already. So if. Maybe we'll think of another one. Yeah, don't use Forrest Gump or Signs. Mm. Oh, man. Ah. Interesting. Let's see. Let's see. My my favorite movies don't usually have Christian values. They're more just slapstick ridiculousness. Uh, mm. Um, Let's see. Are you saying that there's no Christian values at all in Spaceballs? uh, uh, They're very few and far in between. Hold on. Hold on. (laughs) There is a part where she sings... Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody, Nobody knows, knows but Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> wow, she's a bass. Who knew? <laughs> I just think it's funny because uh, uh, that is a Christian song. So yeah, technically there is some. There you go. There's some Christian. Oh, that, 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 that's pushing it quite no, a bit because the rest of that film is very much sacrilege and very unchristian. <laughs> and I um, enjoy that movie, so I, yeah. I know, I know no, it, it is. It is. <laughs> but. Um, um, it, yeah, it definitely is. Um, I'll, I'll just throw I'll throw a one or two out there just to get the ball rolling because I'm I'm still thinking on like a more significant. I have like one. a lot of ideas too, but I want to hear um, yours first. Uh, I mean, I I know these are kind of like low hanging fruit, but we we've talked about um, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, definitely, definitely not. Like, see the di- the the difference is that some people are very like hardline against mixing like christianity with miss uh, with like spiritualism and stuff like that mm-hmm. um, and so lord of the rings sometimes can have that like that yeah. kind of like cast to it i really do think that if you were to take away all the flavor and the fantasy of lord of the rings there is some significant characters yeah. that represent biblical figures but also the tenants like so, like what you really need to look at is what the characters are doing and being motivated by, yeah. and they're in the in the movie's definition of like what goodness is. And I think if you look at Lord of the Rings, that's a good example of one. Yeah. Of course, it was clear that like Tolkien was a Christian. I've heard people make the case that like Harry Potter actually has a lot of good Christian themes. Like if you're talking about self sacrifice and stuff, and that's very interesting because J.K. Rowling. I don't think is a Christian. I think she's kind of more of a progressive kind of person. Mm-hmm. But I, I think so too. Yeah. But, but I will it's say this. There. Yeah. I will say this. There is one plot device in the later films of Harry Potter that I meant to talk to you all about 
now that you mentioned it. Um, if uh, spoiler alert, it's already been out for forever, but mm-hmm. um, in I think it's the, either the Half Blood Prince or like the one of the ones that are sort of late, maybe the fifth or sixth movie or, or mm-hmm. book. Um, the plot device that comes up is that the um, Voldemort crew are like grooming. Um, uh, uh, what's this? Uh, who's the blonde kid? Uh, I can't remember his name now. Oh, Draco. The, 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 the Voldemort guys are grooming Draco to kill yeah. uh, Dumbledore. And secretly you find out that Dumbledore told Snape it like has to be him. And there's like no way around it. And Harry Potter like sees that and like is so upset because thinks he thinks Snape is such like a little scumbag. Mm -hmm. And you find out later that like it had to happen just that way. And that idea of it had to happen just that way. And that Dumbledore had to be sacrificed in just that way made me think about the way Jesus is like, I'm not going to do anything to like alter the plan. I need to get up on that cross. Yeah. And I know that's like a big stretch, but if you think about it in terms of like why Dumbledore does it, mm-hmm. he does it to like, you know, kind of like save the whole school and whatever. I think it it is a plot device yeah. you might see in the scripture in a few places, that idea of I need to be, I need to sacrifice myself in this specific way so that others may live. Yeah. Anyway. And I think the most powerful force in Harry Potter is love. Is it not? It is. Dumbledore even says that they make that Um, a point throughout the thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like love is even more powerful than like all the magic in the world. Like I thought that was kind of cool. I agree. Bob, do you have any movie like, but you said slapstick comedies and stuff. Yeah. um, I mean, the the other ones that kind of come to mind is like Medea, uh, which is very secular Christian in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. but Mm. um, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a, uh, Guilty pleasure uh, fan of uh, Tyler Perry's Medea films. Um, There's usually like that moment in the Tyler Perry movie that like gets all serious and dramatic. Yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 it's usually very secular Christian. It's very yeah. uh, Christianese more so mm-hmm. than it is really Christian. Uh, but beyond that, it's, yeah. I tend to go with more the stereotypical yeah. like Lord of the Rings. I absolutely, of yeah. course, uh, who, I, of course, I love Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I mean, it. Right. So, um, um uh, but uh, I mean, what line the witch in the wardrobe is also there. Oh, yeah, I definitely. Mean, um, so the, the, those films, I think Disney did a pretty good job with those films. And, oh yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, um, I have one I wanted to throw out. Um, I recently, I guess it was like a little bit before Lucy was born. We rewatched I am legend. Ah, uh, yeah. I think there's definitely some Christian themes there. Um, I think so too. You know, and I, th- I think that um, Will Smith's character has kind of like lost his faith throughout much of the first half of the movie. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden this girl and this kid show up and they're like, Oh, we're here because like God kind of told us to come here and look for you, you know? And so he kind of ends up finding faith again. And there's this thing about like um, in the flashbacks, it shows his daughter um, and she keeps talking about this butterfly and the butterfly almost becomes like this symbol from God that God is listening, that God is like moving throughout the situation. Oh, interesting. At the end of the movie, Will Smith looks up and um, spoiler alert, he's like about to sacrifice himself. And he looks and he sees like the main like monster 
is banging on this window and he cracks the window into this perfect butterfly shape. Yeah. And so he hands the, um, he hands the girl, the vial of his own blood, which it turns out the cure, um, for the virus was in his blood. And so he says, I think this is the reason why you're here. Um, and then he kind of like sends her out this escape hatch and then he like blows himself up to save Mm -hmm. them. Um, and so it kind of has like a sacrifice theme in it too. It has been forever yeah. since I've seen that film. I, I it's I've, really I've good. Missed, I've missed some of that, so that's that's really really neat. That that movie does tackle a lot of uh, a, a a lot of issues like um, like depression and solitude and yeah. hopelessness and stuff. I think that I think that there really is. You could make the argument about I Am Legend that if Will Smith did believe in God, his redemption is at the end where he realizes like everything is like fated to happen just that way. Yeah. Um, like it had said. to happen just that way. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah. and and I think again, it's one of those like, yes, there is a lot of secular stuff in it. You have to kind of like separate the secular from like the main plot themes. Yeah. Um, I think that we get most of our great plots right out of the scripture, but a lot of people, like to you know spice them up but if you look at like overcoming evil with good or yeah uh, adventure stuff or whatever battles of armies and whatever all of that stuff is cool stuff for tv but if you really look at like just like the basic elements like uh jesus knew he was going to die on the cross yeah and he did it anyway um and he did it without a sword you know that's like a very like good theme um, and it's just anyway. Sorry. Nice. Yep. There's some good ones. So my turn to read the next question. I believe sure. so. Okay. So this one comes from uh, my friend David, and he says, uh, "Do the smoke and lights in worship impress God as much as they impress people?" And I kind of get where he's coming from with this. It kind of seemed I kind of took it almost as like a rhetorical question, <laughs> but I think we should discuss it anyway. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think that, um, no, I don't think God is impressed by, uh, the things that we do to like make for a good visual show, um, things that are supposed to be impressive to humans. Like God cares about the heart. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and so there's a lot of scriptures we were just kind of talking about that deal with this. Um, like one of them is in Amos five 21, uh, where, the people it's, it's talking about the day of the Lord, which is kind of the similar thing to what uh, Colin, I think is going to talk about Joel probably. Um, mm. But the day of the Lord is kind of, it's describing the same event, different book. Um, but it says, will not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, even gloom, no brightness in it. Um, I hate, I despise your feasts. I cannot stand the stench of your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them for your peace offerings or fattened cattle. I will have no regard. And so God is calling out the people because they've not truly been following him. They've not been obedient to like what God is saying. And yet they're going out there and having these big lavish feasts and celebrating with these big worship services. Um, If we don't actually have a relationship with Christ, um, nothing we do like to have an impressive church service is really going to matter. 
I agree. Yeah. So uh, one thing that came to my mind was the was and we talked about this uh, in preparation for this episode was this the idea of, of David dancing around the street yeah. in this in his undergarments. Um, it, the, um, and the differentiation I would make with that is the fact that it was most certainly as opposed to the what you just read there. It was not solemn in any way. It was very flashy. Um, yeah. It was very um, uh, uh, bold. It was very. Uh, probably entertaining to watch, honestly, uh, as as the parade goes down the street and here's your king, you know, and uh, without any regard for, you know, for his own uh, decency. Um, but the difference there is the fact that it was done in praise. Uh, it was done in genuine, authentic yeah. worship. And so with that being said, I think that lights and smoke and things like that, if done in praise really can be uplifting and worshipful. I really think they can. Uh, likewise, uh, the previous generation would say that uh, having a band on stage with guitars and drums is completely unsolemn and just there for entertainment and flashiness. And, you know, you got yeah. keyboard and, you know, if you're using something besides a piano and organ, what is wrong with you? You're just looking for attention You know, just trying to entertain. No, this isn't, this isn't about entertainment. It's about worship. You know, so once again, the question is, what is the attitude of your heart? Yeah. I think I, I do think that that's uh, that light shows can be yeah. worshipful. I would argue that it's much harder than yeah. than a band on stage as there's very little interaction from the congregation. I think but that, I, I but I, I'm not going to say no, that it can't be worshipful either. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. God promises that his presence is there when even like two or more are gathered. Um you know, I think God can be, God is just as present when a couple people gather in a living room and sing a bunch of, sing some songs with no instruments or anything and mm -hmm. everybody's singing off key, then he is, you know, he's just as present there as in a big worship gathering. Um, it's all about the heart of oh, the yes. people they're worshiping. And at, by the same token, there can be giant worship services with smoke and lights and thousands of people but if nobody there is really there to praise god um you know it can be basically dead absolutely you know, so absolutely so bob and zach um i've read this in um uh fourth timothy and it says <laughs> and i quote it is it is um easier to fit 20 stage lights in a fog machine through the eye of a needle <laughs> than for the entire uh, $100,000 uh, set production to enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, for and crying out loud. I do think that, that there's a lot of truth to that. Um, oh, <laughs> I'll just say. <laughs> I'll just say there's two scriptures. There's two scriptures I want to mention. One is um, the woman who offers her last two cents. Um, so let me just, well, I'll start with Joel, Joel two, because I, I think, uh, um, I think that one is probably where I'll end with anyway, but, uh, yeah. So in Joel two, starting in verse 12, it says, yet even now declares the Lord return to me with all your heart, with fasting and we with weeping and with mourning. So that's, that's fine. Mm-hmm. And rend your hearts and not your garments. So um, that's 12 and 13 of Joel 2. Now, what does that mean? Um, 
I think what it, what they're trying to say with this is that because of the tradition of mourning by ripping your clothes, which was mm-hmm. a thing, and I, um, yeah, an outward display to let all the world know that you are that you are in mourning. So the the, the issue that comes up is that God, uh, like Joel, in Joel, it is saying God doesn't just want the act. He wants your heart to be changed, right? Mm, And so in terms of worship, it's exactly the same. So if you have uh, like a hundred people in a relatively small congregation all singing out to the Lord with joined voices, and they're all just praising the Lord, what you're going to find is that the Lord will be pleased with that. So if you have eight eight, uh, 8,000 people in a big, big, big church, what does the money that is put towards that production, what is that doing for your praise experience? Now, some would say that a production would sort of be significant, kind of like an offering in a way. Mm-hmm. Now, like, mm-hmm. like for example, when, when we talk about praise, you know, like so, all the Psalms say, they'll say, you know, Praise him with the trumpet, praise him with the lute and the harp, with renowned vo- you know, resounding voices and stuff. That is all part of the heart experience. I think if your heart is in the right place, the byproduct will be wanting to like present offerings of praise, music, that kind of thing. But what is the light show doing? Is it adding to that offering of praise or is it, is it, is it, souping up uh, yeah. uh, uh the church is it building well, up the man-made church well it's it, it's it's some some of it is about the is about the outward expression to the world and here's what i mean by that is that uh taking a step back from the light show example there are many churches that take great pride in caring for their building uh caring for the garden outside making sure that it looks good looks presentable so to speak and they're uh, big butter jesus statues well, <laughs> no, no, I'm not even talking about them. I'm talking even more like your country churches. Uh, and, and the generations past, you went to church in your Sunday best, it was called, right? Yes. The best clothes. Yeah, why? Because you want to be give your absolute best, the most the, the most presentable and best thing you could when entering the house of God. And so it could be argued that a good production is similar to that. You know, you want to put uh, make sure that you're putting forth your very best when it comes to uh, uh, putting uh, when it comes to a service to God. Um, and so, in the same way that a high quality production is actually uh, seems professional and put together and represents your community in that kind of way, um, and is therefore by definition tends to be less distracting. Uh, it could also be argued that the light show, if done professionally well, is enhancing and not distracting to the worship service, uh, but right. instead makes things seem more professional and putting forth the very best production that you possibly could for this worship service for God. Not that the yeah. production and being looking the best is all that really matters, but it is an element of worship that many people have held for generations. In You're just talking ways. about excellence. Yes, yes. Yeah. I yeah, guess put, when, putting forth a sense of yeah. excellence with it. I guess where um, where it hits a road bump with me because I mm-hmm. do like all that stuff. I'm a media person. Um, I love using like video technology, lights. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, we don't do smoke at church, but I think it does look pretty cool when you can pull it off. Um, you do only have like a certain amount of like um, energy you can spend <laughs> on something each week. And yeah. so for me, I, I always want to make sure that, you know, my team is putting more time into like, you know, where our heart is in worship and also like what are the songs that are going to like lead and shepherd people well into worshiping Jesus Mm -hmm. um, rather than like all the things that just look cool from an outward appearance. I I realize you do have to focus on those things a little bit, especially like with music, like it's a good idea to rehearse so that, you know, (laughs) you're not distracting. Um, Absolutely. Right. It's kind of like when um, Zach is doing like an electric guitar lead and I just, you know, kind of hop on the mic and I say, rend your heart and not your fingertips, Zach. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> then I just take the guitar and just smash it. And then we all do a jump in the air while the pyrotechnics explode. Yeah, exactly. God bless. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of performance would that be if I, if we're like in the middle of like oceans or something? And I'm, it's just like, everybody stop. Everybody stop. Zach, rend your heart and not your fingertips. You're like, you're right, Colin. <laughs> good night <laughs> um <laughs> no i i think i i think you guys i think it is a duality i really do i think that you can have like i think if there's righteous pride which i know that's like a very hard thing to attain but if like you're prideful about the lord and you want to like get, offer him something that's a different thing than a lot of i think i i truly believe that uh, sometimes people conflate that with the production, but I, mm-hmm. I think it's, I think if your heart is truly rendered in the right place in the right way, then it can be good. I'll just, I'm going to throw this last scripture in there about the, the widow's offering from Mark and it's Mark um, 12. And it says, starting in verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money in the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums and a poor woman came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And there's a note here that says it is one sixty-fourth of a Daenerys was one Roman copper coin. So one sixty-fourth of a Daenerys was uh, a day's wage for a laborer. So, um, yeah, anyway, long story short, she put it in was, a very was small, yeah, very small amounts, very small amount. And so, he said he called his disciples to him and said, truly, I say to you, this poor woman has put in more, put more than all those who are contributing to the offering box for they yes. contribute out of abundance. But she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. And I think that most people just focus on the monetary value. But I think that we should focus on the words, even though I know that across uh, uh, translations it might be a little different. But I like that in the ESV, it says all she had to live on, everything she had. Yeah. And so what's what to to me that says is like when we worship and if we if we translate that to a worship experience with the pyrotechnics and stuff, going back to the question where it says do the smoke and lights of worship, I would say if you're giving God everything you have and he knows that, then it doesn't matter if you have the lights. So if like all you have is like, a guitarist and a uh, female singer and a guy on a djembe and that's all you've got. But like every week you're just like bringing in everything you got. I think that that is 
the exact same thing to God as a light show. If, if, well, if the light show is truly a good, righteous expression and not just smoke and mirrors. And stuff. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So that's my last bit on that. Cool. Okay. So I got this next one here. Colin, tell me what's the deal with the phrase, God bless America. Here, I'm going to say it. Two di- I'm going to say it three different ways. Ready? God bless America. That's the one way you always hear. Here's the way I would phrase it. God bless America. With a comma. <laughs> yeah, with a comma. Yeah. Put a comma in there. Okay. And then the last way, which I think maybe would be the final version, would be uh, we pray God, comma, please bless America. Okay. There. <laughs> So um, that's true. It can really mean different things depending on like who is saying it and like <laughs> what they're intending by saying it. Like may, even if you said the words, mm-hmm. may God bless America, it almost like, I think that people use it in a context of being like, um, Oh, bless you. Like, Oh, you're so nice. Yeah. Bless you. And it's like, you're, you're taking out the whole point of like, like the phrase. So I think when people say God bless America, I think it's just like one of those nice phrases you say as in like saying like, Oh God is just every day blessing America. Look how great it is. Yeah. And I think that they've often forget that. I think that when we ask God for a blessing, it's always a question. It's not yeah. like uh like unless, well, unless you're from like a charismatic church or a certain type of church belief, you might just like demand God does it because you have a covenant with him, which I've heard people say name and claim it. It's like, God, you will bless America today and forever. And you will put that thousand dollars in my mailbox (laughs) from an unknown sender. And yes, I will get that Jaguar in my porch tomorrow. (laughs) Maybe my wife's going to buy it for me with a pension fund. I don't know. But if it's there tomorrow, it's because God and me have a covenant. And he says that he'll just give me whatever I say. So maybe that's what people mean when they say God bless America. I just think, yeah, I think the idea around um, 4th of July saying the words, God bless America, like even in the song, God bless America, my home, sweet home or whatever. It's like, are you asking? Yeah. Or are you like assuming a special position? (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, What do you guys think, think about that? I think it's easy to get those things confused. And so I always think about this on 4th of July, especially on years where the fourth happens to be on Sunday. And then yeah. the question kind of comes up. Now, nobody like asked about this at my church, but I've been in churches before where the question is like, are you going to sing, you know, a patriotic song? Like Colin, we've both been a part of a church that kind of did like a veterans day thing. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I think, I think it's good. Think like to a certain extent good, we, yeah. So, you know, we talked about this, we had like an episode about idols and one of them was where, you know, patriotism could be an idol. And I I still think that that's the case, but I also think that it is totally fine to say we're thankful to God for what we have. I do think that God has blessed America. I think that we've been incredibly blessed. Um, And I think that some, I think sometimes people uh, forget, forget how much we've been blessed to be born in America. Yeah. Particularly like freedoms that we have now you could, say that some of those are are being lessened or or changing over time um but i still think that it holds that like 
God has been very good to our country. And I think that like I, for one can say that I'm thankful to live here and have the freedoms that I have. Um, but yeah, the main point about that is, and when I think about this in terms of like church and worship and stuff and saying, God bless America is that the focus on that is on God, not on America because I'm like, the reason we have those blessings is that they flow from God who Mm -hmm. created us and who, you know, gave us this situation that we have in America. It's the, on the count of, I would say really smart people set up the government at the very beginning. um, And the fact that God gave them the chance to do that and kind of like delivered the right situation for that to come about. Um, And so it's, it's only because of God. I think we're sustained through God. There's no reason why like a giant like volcano couldn't blow up in Wyoming about the middle of the country and just like wipe all of us out. (laughs) (laughs) God is is good to us, um, but it's because he is good. And so I think when you say God bless America to me, like I'm kind of, I'm, I guess I fall into the, may God bless America or I'm praying God, please bless America. Um, continue to bless like, you know, our family members and stuff. Like, I think that's a really good thing. I even think it's good to like conserve certain things about America that do line up with scripture, even though, you know, it's not everything, but America's not God. And so we don't lift right. America up to that level. Makes sense. I think so. Yeah, I think, I think that it, it, yeah, I think that, um, Um, we, we, I think you're right, Zach. I think we often, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm I'm not going to pick a fight against anyone on any political spectrum, but I think that sometimes certain people come into church with their own like worldly Mm -hmm. uh, beliefs about stuff. And then Mm -hmm. they try and wrap God around that belief. Yeah. Like, um, a piece of bacon around a water chestnut and, um, God's not a piece of bacon. Don't wrap him around your water chestnut of uh, <laughs> patriotism. Right? There's Facebook saying. quote. God's not a piece of bacon. He's definitely. I mean, I love that. There we that, go. That's, that's fun. That's as much as as much as you want God to be a piece of bacon, he's not. So, but he um, did create bacon, or rather, the animal that it came from. And he said, "Don't eat it." So don't try Before to make time. God a piece of bacon. Well, he, he, he did, but I guess this could kind of lead into the next thing because I, that's told, why I said that. He told Peter we could. <laughs> Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll read this next one. Was mm-hmm. Paul a jerk for rebuking Peter? Now, what before, is that referencing? <laughs> before we before we even get into it, let's is a few scriptures. So there's Galatians 2. There's Acts 11 and Acts 15 and some of the stuff in between. We are getting, it's interesting because Acts and, uh, you know, Acts is sort of Peter, uh, John, James, their perspective on the yeah. starting of the church. And Galatians it was written and, by, um, by Luke, but it right. mentions Paul, but it kind of follows Peter, mm-hmm. at least in the first like part of Acts until it kind of starts to focus more on Paul. Right. And so we yeah. got, we, we have, um, we have this situation. Now, I was a little confused, but I still think it's a fun topic just to mention. <laughs> yeah. I was definitely confused, but I was also just teasing. I don't think that Paul is inherently wrong for, for being direct and rebuking people. Yeah. But in the beginning, 
I had this fun little thing about Paul because Peter and Paul are buddies. So in the first part of Galatians, he's like, yeah, me and Peter, uh, you know, I'm hanging with them. They are like telling everybody, no, Paul is legit. He's from God. He's one of, he's like basically like an apostle like we are. He, he's going to handle teaching the, I think he handles teaching the, uncircumcised and peter teaches the circumcised if i remember that correctly let me look it up in galatians yeah so when it's referencing the circumcision there it's talking about people who were jews first because to be jewish right uh, you had to get the snip so oh i'm sorry it says when they saw that i had (laughs) yeah exactly he said it says in verse seven of of galatians 2 it says on the contrary when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised. So Paul is with the uncircumcised. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was right. And, P- and just as Peter had been entrusted to the gospel uh, with the gospel to the circumcised. Yes. For, and then it says in parentheses, which is kind of weird and interesting for later. It says, for he who worked through Paul for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And yeah. That's very significant because it's talking about Christ. It's talking about yeah. God. And so, and they're basically saying that Peter and Paul agreed that you don't have to become Jewish first right, to become a Christian because they went to these Gentiles, people who were not Jewish, and they preached about Jesus and they believed, they received Christ, they received the Holy Spirit, they repented of their sins, um, they were forgiven, they became Christians. Um, right. But they did not go through all the Jewish customs because Jewish customs at the time there was like a lot of rituals you had to do including if you were a male yeah. getting circumcised even if you were already an adult and hadn't mm-hmm. been um it was just the law they were following the the mosaic law you know and you had to be clean to become jewish um paul and peter are saying that you can just receive christ and christ can be your righteousness um so yeah. so so Zach, I made this comment to Zach and Ken and Bob (laughs) that I thought that Paul, like, and this was just a kind of a teasing joke, but at the same time, I sort of felt like Paul was being a bit of a, like uh, a meanie to Peter because they had been hanging out. It wasn't exactly nice. (laughs) He was, he had been hanging out with Peter and him and Peter Mm -hmm. were on the same page. And I read it probably very wrong, obviously, but even even just reading it in its true form, I was still like, yeah, you know, he's kind of being a little bit of a pooper. But um, it says in verse, so in chapter two, verse eleven, here's the here's the part of uh, of uh, Galatians chapter two, verse eleven. It says, "But when Cephas, uh, basically which is Peter, it's yeah. Peter, came to Antioch, which is interesting because I think he was already sort of there, but I opposed him to his face. I being Paul, Paul's <laughs> speaking in the first person." Because he stood condemned. Yeah. For before certain men came from James, which I assume that means to like James's crew, he was eating with the Gentiles. Now, this means eating with people that are not circumcised uh, and are not believers yet and are not Jews. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself from those Gentiles, fearing the circumcision party. Now, it goes on, but I'm going to stop there. If you don't know what the circumcision party is, you're in trouble because you're about to interpret this wrong like I did. Um, <laughs> so just keep that in mind. 
And then moving on to verse 13. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So he's basically saying, like, Peter was a hypocrite. Then all the other Jews that followed him were hypocrites. Yeah. So that even well, well, yeah, Barnabas. They're, 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 they're looking at Peter as a leader. And it's like, oh, well, that's, Peter's yeah. doing this. I guess I should do yeah. this as well. And Barnabas, who was with Paul, who's like Paul's buddy, was also led astray by the hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Now, we don't know what other conduct was happening. So for all I know, Peter was like, oh, I never hung out with those guys. I never ate dinner with them. Yeah. You know, whatever. He, he may have had even weirder conduct. So then Paul says, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now, that wording is not good. I still think that's jerky wording. Now, it's only because he's like, if though you are a Jew, you live. Yeah, it kind of seems like a different point. How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? It's like force them. So then it's like, okay, well, Peter, in my eyes, correctly was having food with Gentiles. Yes. I think that, I think yeah. that for the purpose of ministry, that was a good thing to do. I mean, Jesus said, go into the, you know, mm-hmm. the, you know, make disciples, whatever. And I believe that uh, Peter in the early parts of Acts is doing the exact same thing there. Are, you know, he is, uh, giving people messages, they are feeling uh, in their heart that they want to change, yeah. and they, you know, they get baptized, things like that. So I think that's that is a part of that. Ministry. And he had not been forcing the circumcision issue on anyone. He hadn't. Yeah. But what I didn't understand was that the circumcision party was actually the yeah. like law pushing, like pushy Jews yeah. who didn't really care about the new gospel of Christ and were more concerned with the traditions. Right. And saying that if you want to even be like a believer, you have to become a Jew and be circumcised first. And Gentiles aren't Jews. So the first step is to get circumcised. And then when those people came, I guess Peter was like, "Uh oh, I might get in trouble with that crew because they're trying to like rebuke people mm-hmm. who are like su- in support of the Gentiles. Yeah, so so I want to look good in front of them. So yeah. I'll go and separate myself and not like get in trouble. Yeah. And I think that's where Paul is like, listen. You need to, you need to check your, right. <laughs> not, you need to check your Jewish, uh, uh, hanging out, but, and realize you're sinning because if you're like, so that, that, that's he why was I was being, confused. Yeah. He was being one way with the Gentiles and saying, yeah, you can come in and you can, you can just get to know Christ. And then when mm-hmm. the, when, when this group came, he was afraid of them. So he kind of kowtowed to their point of view, which was that you had to get circumcised. And so then he kind of started trying to act more. And so they call this group, the Judaizers. I'm not really sure like where this word comes from. Like, I'm not sure if that's actually in scripture somewhere, but, or if somebody like a commentator had come up with that, but basically it was a group of people who were Jews first and became Christians. And then they kind of wanted to make Christianity an exclusively Jewish religion. And so when it says the circumcision party, that's how the ESV says it. Um, mm. Or NIV just says like he was afraid of those who belong to this circumcision group. Um, it was the people who were coming and they were trying to push the circumcision issue on the Gentiles and saying like, no, no, you don't really have Jesus. Like you got to do this weird thing first. <laughs> right. And so people were kind of taken aback by that. And I think some people maybe were convinced um, 
And so it did cause a huge mess, but Peter didn't really stand up for the Gentiles he was eating with and said he distanced himself from them. Yeah. And so I think that the, like I was getting mixed up in this idea that the circumcision party was a group of the Gentiles who yeah. might've been interested in circumcision. And I got confused because then I was like, well, yeah, Peter should separate himself from a bunch of people who are like, yeah, well, we're, we're Gentiles who believe in circumcision. And then Peter's like, well, then I'll distance myself from you because I don't believe in that. <laughs> yeah. That would like, be dinner with you. Yeah. I was like, why is Paul yelling at him? He's doing the right thing here. <laughs> that so, would be jerky. <laughs> but, but again, you need to read the full context in uh-huh. just a little bit further in verse 15 and going down, uh, I think he's making his full point in using that situation yeah. as a springboard when he says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And I think his point of that is to say, just because you're circumcised, just because you're following the law, doesn't mean you're justified by in in Christ. It's through our faith in Christ that we're justified. And so if these Gentiles who are not circumcised have faith in Christ, they are still justified, circumcised or not. And I think that was the point that he was trying to make. And I didn't, I didn't understand because I thought Peter was on board with that. I thought Peter was like, yeah, I agree. But I see now that the point was that he was being he was worried that the yeah. Jewish lawmakers were going to like yell at him, and so he still like, yeah. So Peter believed correctly; he just wasn't acting like in accordance to what both right. him and Paul had agreed on. Yeah, and Peter, you know, opposed him to his face, and he stood condemned. So <laughs> he stood condemned. <laughs> so maybe Paul, um, you might think his language was a little bit harsh here, um, and I would say like yeah, I mean. Some of the things he says, like it, it can kind of seem like he's a jerk, but um, I guess that kind of like brings up the issue of like when do we redu- rebuke our brothers? Um, yeah, they're, right, they're right. Led astray. But what I think is really cool is that Peter kind of found his boldness later on because later on they call a council at Jerusalem, and Peter actually brings in. You can read about this in um, in Acts fifteen. He brings in Paul and Barnabas to kind of defend the point of view that Gentiles don't need to be circumcised. Right. Um, So I'm going to read this in Acts uh, 15, verse six. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. So they called a council to um, basically Mm -hmm. discuss this circumcision issue. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips and the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles, a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear, meaning basically the fullness of the law, right? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. So then Paul and Barnabas kind of give their testimony. Um, When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon, which was yet another name for Peter. (laughs) Simon has described to us how God first intervened 
to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. Uh, The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written, After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. And this is James still talking. And he was like, at first he was the person pushing the circumcision thing. He says, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Um, So basically he's saying... Um, you don't have to become Jewish. Um, you only have to follow certain things about the law that are consistent uh, with what Christians will do. Right. Um, so sexual immorality being probably the biggest example you could talk about. Um, Christians are still going to be different here, but you don't have to like go through an initiation to become clean uh, because your only initiation is knowing Jesus. And of course, uh, baptism, we would say too. Right. I mean, yeah, that's the, I think that's the biggest point is that he's just saying that like, there's a difference between following the law and, and like, mm-hmm. actually having, yeah. I would argue that this is a big can of worms, but I would argue that, uh, you know, um, faith is lived out through works, just like James says, yeah. you know, with faith without works is dead. So I think there is an argument to be made that faith in itself is a form of works, but it's not a law, a part of works. It's more like, yeah a God-centered form of, like, work. But anyway. Faith is, like, faith is, like, the only work, if you could even call it a work. It's the mm-hmm. only thing that we do actively that um, has any benefit to us salvation-wise because faith is, like, us directly going to God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not us, like, trying to do something on our own. So, um, So... Yeah, the, I mean, yeah, we could spend all uh, all night on this particular subject. I think it's, I think this uh, this idea of the rebuking of Peter um, was just a fun sort of like funny thing that yeah. actually has a lot of weight to it. It's oh, so yeah. funny how things can start as just like kind of a funny like discussion, like hey, was he a jerk there? And then it kind of leads into a larger thing with a lot of different lessons from scripture. Yeah, so there's sure. that's I don't know if you remember that song that I did. Uh, called uh, wounds of a friend it's based on a song uh, based on a proverb actually proverb Mm -hmm. um but in that uh song i actually said a a, a, almost word for word as a thing that you said before zach like just a little bit ago and it's it's just like a part of my little bridge part that said uh iron sharpens iron so we sharpen each other don't hide your love i trust you to rebuke your brother and i think that in the case of Paul and Peter, they're kind of brothers in ministry. And so it's okay to rebuke your brother if, if he's stepping out a little bit. Yeah. That's the loving thing to do is what scripture teaches. But again, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like with the worship issue, like has to come from a place of love. It does. I mean, yeah. Grace and love, right? Yeah, yep. that's exactly right. Okay, cool. Moving on. Awesome. So we want to do these last two separately. You want to kind of lump them together or we can kind of lump them together. I think that you're right. I think repentance has a lot to do with sin. So yeah, let's just do it together. Okay. Um, 
who's uh, reading? I'll, I'll go and read it. Why does God have rules against sin? Is it because he just doesn't like it or is it for our benefit? And then the last one is why is repentance so important? Yeah. So this question actually like doesn't come to us like as a cold call or anything, but it's kind of comes out of a discussion between us and Ken that we had kind of throughout last a week. really good discussion, really, really good discussion good. that kept going and uh, was blowing up my phone while I was at work. Uh, but I just was like, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I tagged in at about 120 messages in. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Let me read up and. Yeah. It was like first, first I talked to Ken and then you tagged in and talked to Ken. Yeah, so that's right. He had a lot of time on his hands for us, uh, whatever day that was. So that was pretty yeah. cool. Um, I'm just going to, I'm going to mention something that I'm gonna let you guys have the floor. Cause I've talked a lot tonight. Um, we do have an episode about repentance. We do. And I, mm-hmm. I kind of sort of was the fore, forerunner of the writing on that one. Um, and so I actually do have a lot um, to say about repentance. I think that the sad news is that a lot of Christians don't have a lot to say about repentance. Yeah. Um, but um, you'll, you'll be surprised if you do like a, a cursory search through the scriptures, how much the idea of repentance or repenting or repent or turning away from sin uh, how much that comes up Definitely. and how little we talk about it. Yeah. So um, of course, repentance in its truest form is turning away from sin um, and all of the emotion and all of the mental stuff that goes into that. So, all right, you guys go ahead. Cool. I do think that there is something to the reason why God has rules against sin because God is love and um, I think that there are a lot of things that God has rules against that we don't quite understand, mm-hmm. um, but God knows it's for our benefit. Um, and kind of like you were saying earlier, Bob, like it has to do with God being a holy and perfect God. And he calls us, it's, you know, scripture says, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. Um, we cannot live up to that, of course. And so we rely on uh, Jesus and his sacrifice um, to be that righteousness for us. Um, and yet God has these rules. I don't think that any of them are arbitrary. And I think that like, it's crazy because, um, the Bible will sometimes have rules that we'll find out way, way later had a good purpose. So like, I'm thinking about like cleanliness rituals, um, that he had for people like in the old Testament, um, like rules about like abstaining from certain foods, or about um, like staying clean. If you're like caring for somebody who has like skin afflictions and stuff like that, there was no germ theory. Um, There was no like knowledge about like how food can spoil. Um, They did not know why scientifically speaking that that any Mm -hmm. of that happened. Um, And yet a lot of these rules are consistent with things that will keep you alive in the desert um, when, you know, disease and stuff can just set in. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. And I think there's, there's a lot of stuff like that too. If you want to just get into like a wider discussion about science sometime, like, um, like Job mentions seven stars in the Pleiades constellation when only six of them are visible to the naked eye. So it's like, they did not have telescopes to prove that there were seven stars in that constellation. And later we found that seventh star and that like, <laughs> like during, in between during that time, 
you could have just assumed like, oh, the Bible had it wrong, or you might have like changed a translation to make it more accurate to what we assume was the truth. And then we find out that the Bible was right all along. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of things like that. And so I think, you know, I don't know, it could be just me, but I think that like a lot of things that the Bible prohibits that we don't really understand yet, like might be like way more destructive for us than like we even could possibly mm-hmm. imagine. Um, and if nothing else, it's destructive for us because it separates us from God. And so that would yep. be in itself like enough warning, enough reason to give a warning against it. Yep, that 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 right there is a big one, and that is that it separates us from God. God being the holy and perfect being that He is, you know, He. he uh, I mean, that's the whole reason why the. Uh, I mean, forgiveness is so necessary, and why the sacrifice of Jesus is necessary, so that we could, so that, so that when He looks at us, He can see the uh, the sacrifice of Christ instead. You know, He died in our place because our because of wages for our sin is death. And so it's so in, in yeah. order for us to be with him and he wants to be with us, that's the whole point, you know? And so, so, so why, st- why stay away from sin so that we know what is good and what is evil. Yeah. And so that we can strive for that goodness. There you um, go. I, I would also add a scripture here um, just to kind of like lay a little bit of a groundwork uh, in terms of like, uh, how, um, I guess I would say how the, the scriptures like kind of define, uh, so I'll just read it's, it's Mark, uh, chapter seven, um, starting in verse 20 and going through to 23 and it says, um, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. Yeah. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, um, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. So in terms of defilement of of the person, I find that to be significant because one of my understandings of sin is and me and Bob have talked about this before, but one of my understandings of sin is that um, sin is not ultimately good for the person. Um, And so God kind of lines that out, but I do believe Bob is also correct. Bob, uh, your, your response to that is more broad in that anything that goes against the will of God. Mm -hmm. And so I like sin. So and I like the, that idea. Yeah, the the example that I that I used during that discussion that we had was about Jonah. You know, this the idea that Jonah got on a boat and went the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, getting on the boat was not sinful. It was a fact that he was disobeying God and going the wrong direction. That is that that was sin. Uh, that the act of getting on a boat was not a problem. It was the fact that God wanted him to go a different way than what he was going. He was intentionally avoiding God's will. Right. Yeah. Um, so that to me is, is very significant in that, um, that passage, because I Mm -hmm. do think that sin can come from us, but I also think we can be led astray by, you know, Satan. We can be, I mean, I think, I think that, um, I think that the first sin, you know, Adam and Eve's first sin didn't necessarily come from them. Um, so I think that there's probably more to it than just, just the only evils that, 
that come within our hearts. But I also think that uh, not really a counter to your point, Bob, but more of like a relationship. Sure. Idea to your thing would be that I do think that God in, in his will wants us to live righteously. And I think yeah. our righteous living is part of our, our well being. Mm. I think that like, so like, even if you could take that to the farthest reaches of the, of the argument and say, God doesn't necessarily care about our well being, but he wants us to live the way he wants us to live for his will. I would say that even if you are connected to the Holy spirit and, and, and you're living righteously and that God is glorified through your life. I think mm-hmm. that that is that in itself is good for you. Like the, because even if you were to sacrifice yourself, even if you were to die, even if you were one of the um, elders who gets beheaded in revelation, you would be connected to the Lord and therefore you're, you're you have eternal life. So it's, it's good for you. So like, I mean, I know that's not the full ar- argument because I do believe also that there are sins that are just bad for you. Like adultery is bad for your marriage and um, bad for oh, your sure, soul. Sure. And I think yeah. uh, 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 coveting is bad and, uh, for you. And I think, you know, sexual morality is bad for you, but it's like, what I'm saying is that like, I think that there is kind of a joining together of both God's will and what is like good for man. So like, because God, God, everything that is good comes from God. So if it's good to like rebuke yeah. sin, you know, that's, that's kind of where I am with it. So I think, yeah. Why does, why does God have rules against sin? I think it's ultimately, like you said, it's like, you could, you could just say like, because he's, because God three sixteen said so like stone cold. Would yeah. Say. <laughs> <laughs> but like, <laughs> I also do think that it is for our benefit. I think that, I mean, even if it's just for a, for a very good relationship with God with no distraction is good for us. But also I think, healthy for our spirit, healthy for our body. Mm -hmm. And I think just the repentance part to just go back to that really quick. I think that oftentimes repentance gets overlooked, but repentance. And I think Ken made a good point about this too, which I don't often talk about is that repentance isn't a one and done thing. I think throughout your, your life as a Christian, you are going to want to um, continue to repent of your sin uh, of the, of the temptation you're going to continue to want to live in a righteous life yep. and, and turn away from sin. So there you go. Yeah. Repentance is, is very much about transforming us to be more in that image of God. It starts yeah. with the humility of saying, I have not been doing what, what God has desired me to do. And that's, that, that's a big deal. That's a big, big deal to start with. All right, guys. Great episode. Good questions. Oh yeah. We are pushing on time. So I uh, guess we should uh, wrap it up. But yeah, uh, we we appreciate everybody listening in. Um, we thank you for sticking with us. We're sorry about the uh, infrequency of the episodes, but, but we, sometimes uh, life happens. We are in different seasons than we were two years ago. Um, we are we are going to continue to do what we can for the podcast. So continuing to listen is a huge help uh, for us. Uh, continue to comment. Give us more of your questions. We will do another questions crossfire. The more questions that come in, the more question crossfires that come. There are some really good ones this time. I can't wait to see what else we I get. Agree. Yeah. Oh I yeah. Agree. Oh yeah. Very cool. Yeah, check us out on all the places you can find podcasts. Check us out on Patreon if you want to support our podcast. And we will talk to you next time. Yeah, Peace. Bye.